Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. Before we jump in, I have a question for you. Have you reserved your seats yet? We've got Christmas in Nampa coming up. It's a fun church family tradition we have every year before Christmas. We get together, sing Christmas songs with candlelight and hot cocoa while we hear the story about our Savior. It's a great time to bring the whole family and friend group to. Make this your family tradition as we have Christmas in Nampa. You can get all the info and reserve your seats on Facebook or the church website. Now, let's jump into the message. So just so you know, this this Sunday is uh, it's the first Sunday of the month, and what that means around here is Crash Course, and Crash Course is it's our way to get you onto the playing field of the church. Um, if you've been around for a while and you're like, yeah, they never ask me to do anything around here, it's because we don't ask people to do things; we ask people to discover what God's calling you to do. Yeah. And so, uh, so if you've been waiting to figure out what that is, you need to go to Crash Course and you will discover uh, that there are plenty of places uh, in the kingdom of God for you to plug in, whether that's right here in this church or maybe the ministries we partner with. Um, and, and I just want to say, uh, get in the body of Christ and the way you're going to do that, the on-ramp in this church is Crash Course. Got it? Yeah. All right. I got, I got five people that are ready, but they already went to Crash Course, so I need... I need more people. Because um, here's the deal. Like, I, I've, I've been in living for God my whole life. I was the kid that was raised under the pews. Um, and um, I, I've carved my name in plenty of pews. Um, but, but here's the deal. Like, I've grown the fastest in my walk with God when I was serving other people. Like, if you want to learn the Word of God, then you need to be teaching the Word of God. That's how you learn it. You don't learn it just by reading it. You learn it by teaching the Word of God. Um, If you want to learn what it's like to have compassion, you don't learn compassion by feeling compassionate. You learn compassionate by rubbing shoulders with people that need help. So I just want to encourage you today. Uh, get on the team. Don't just, don't just wait around because this train's moving and, uh, and you need to get on. So we're in the middle of the series that we're calling uh, Stars and Sand, and it's a, a biographical series. So around here, uh, we preach in different ways. I think it's important that, that people receive a balanced diet when they come to church. Uh, you know, the brat diet is really good to get you not sick, but it's not going to get you healthy, right? Bananas, rice, applesauce, toast. It'll get you not sick. But it's not going to get you strong. And so it's important that you have all the elements of a diet, uh, a balanced diet to get strong. Same thing in the church. So sometimes we'll preach very topical messages where we're speaking about hope or joy or faith. And and, uh, it's really trendy nowadays, sort of in the theological world, to be against topical messages. But I would challenge somebody to maybe read the messages that Jesus spoke or read the messages that the New Testament church preached because they preached topically. Um, and so this is, this is something we do when we're talking about this. Another way we preach is exegetical. This is where we go verse by verse through the Bible, um, taking, taking message directly from the text, um, not really with, a, with an agenda or a topic. And this is an important way to, to preach the word of God. This is how you get uh, this doctrine is, is through exegetical teaching. Um, and right now we're in a series that is biographical. And what that means is we're looking at the life arc of the patriarch of faith and looking at his life, just going through the biography of his story. We're actually going to probably cut it short this week because um, we've got other things we need to do. But I think we're going to make a second half of the series. Um, are you guys enjoying this? I, I hope you are. <clears throat> 
I hope you're, thank you for saying that too. Like I, I, I know we talked, we planned that. Um, so um, here's why I like the life of Abraham. Because I resonate with Abraham. I mean, some people resonate with David, like this fighter, this guy that's just always in it. Like he's just, he's wrestling and he's like living in caves with people that don't have no teeth. Like that's, that's some of you guys, you guys understand that. But, but for me, like I resonate with Abraham and here's why, because Abraham is a guy that lives by faith, but he, he, in every single story that we see him in, he's struggling with the faith he lives by. Like every single story, there's this, 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 this uh, uh, onslaught against uh, the promise of God in his life. And yet he remains true to it, even though he doesn't understand it. Like, like he's always not quite getting it. And I appreciate somebody like that. Because that's how I am. Like I, I think I get it figured out and I start running in a direction. And then I realize, oh, God, God's like, no, 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 no. Slow down, slow down. I, I have a plan for your life. And so uh, today we're in um, Genesis chapter 17 uh, with the story of uh, Abraham. I, I've been using uh, pronunciation like Avram and Lot and stuff like that instead of Abraham and Lot. Uh, the reason is just because I'm a Bible nerd and, um, and I like to pronounce it the way that, <laughs> that it's pronounced in Hebrew. Uh, so uh, that may be distracting. I don't know. I, I'm not really feeling like being that way today, but that's okay. <clears throat> Let's, you guys got me way off track. I'm sorry. Um, Abraham's life is about a promise and a vision from God. I want you to know that promises from God are a gift from God that he bestows on all of us. And yes, there are the general promises of God, like the promise of salvation and uh, the promise of a hope and a future. But there are specific promises from God to specific people. Uh, today, I want to talk about the value of a vision. Like, it's important that you understand where your life is going in the body of Christ. Because without vision, people cast off restraint. Or without vision, people, uh, they, they lose their boundaries. They lose their direction. And this is why, like, like in your marriage, you've got to have vision. You gotta have vision for what you want your marriage to look like. I, I want a marriage. Like my vision for my marriage is, is not that we have the nicest car. It's not that we have the nicest house. My vision and my wife, our collective vision, uh, we disagree on one point. But, but our collective vision is that we would be 80 years old sitting in a rocking chair on a porch drinking iced tea holding hands. Like that's the vision for our marriage. Now I mean, my part of the vision, like we don't got teeth in our faces she says we're going to keep our teeth. So like, there's a little bit of division in our household. But, but, but here's the deal. You've got to know where you want to go because vision eliminates options. So if I want a vision where I will be 80 years old with this woman, with this fine, foxy lady, then I have to eliminate other options. Other options cannot even be an option. You, you, Somebody's like, ah, no, like, I'm serious. Like, for you to have vision, other things get eliminated. So say you want to go to school, you want to go to college. Well, if you want to go to college, that means other options will be eliminated. If you want to get into the trades and you want to make $100,000 while all your friends are still in college. 
Well, then that means there's going to be some options that are eliminated. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like vision eliminates options. And, and it's important because vision is, in, uh, is entrusted to us by God and we must steward vision. If God's giving you a direction for your life, you've got to steward that. You've got to cultivate that. You've got to remember that that's not just some pipe dream, but God planted something in you. He's developing something in you. Like when that baby boy was born or that baby girl was born and you just, you just felt like there was going to be greatness in this child and, and you were going to do everything you could to protect and keep and cherish and, and nurture this baby to go where, where you felt God calling them, then what that means is that's a, that's a vision God's entrusted you with, now steward it well. Steward it well. It's important. And so uh, we discover uh, Abraham. This is Genesis chapter 17. And for those of you um, that want to do some study on your own, this is a a great example of what we call a chiasm uh, for for all my nerds. Uh, This is a chiasm. So a chiasm is a Hebrew type of poetry. Um, like in English, we have we have lots of form, like sonnets, and uh, like lots of forms of, of poetry. Uh, Genesis chapter seventeen is a chiasm. It's it's a Hebrew form. What it is 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 there's parallel thoughts, but these parallel thoughts are on opposite ends of the the prose or the poetry, um, and they progressively parallel towards the center of the statement. And the very center statement that is going on is the point of the whole thing. So uh, Hebrew poetry is not meant to have punchlines. It's meant to be something that you, uh, that you dig up and have to wrestle with to discover the point that God is making. So if you want to do some study on that yourself, um, I'll give you the bookends for the chiasm, and then you can progressively work your way in. The bookends are the, the, are the phrase that he, fell down, that he fell face down. Abraham fell face down. If you, if you find those two passages, circle them, and then look for paralleling statements, you'll discover they make this, this weird V-shaped poem, and in the center is the point, it, that the, the punchline is in the middle, and it has no parallel. It's the only thing with no parallel, is the punchline. Um, <clears throat> but we're not doing that today. Here's what we're doing. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. It says, when uh, Avram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Avram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I, may, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Avram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Avram, but your name shall be Avraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. It's at this point. So in just the chapter previous in chapter 16 is where we discover God making this this suzerain vassal covenant with Abraham, this blood path covenant with Abraham. He's he's setting in stone this this moment. But but here we discover God saying, I've made my covenant with you, but we're taking it a step further. Now you're going to hold the sign of the covenant. Now you're going to hold the power of the covenant. And, and here's where God speaks to Avram. And he says, Avram, your name will no longer be Avram, which means the exalted father. He says, but your name will now be Avraham, 
which means a father of a multitude of people or a father of many nations. He's saying, you're not just going to be a a respected dad. You're not just going to be somebody that, that is like a good father. You're going to be the father of many people. God has actually inserted his promise to Abraham into Abraham's name. Because sometimes we can have the promise of God, we can have the direction from God, and we can understand where he wants us to go with our lives, but we still never make it our identity. We can recognize God has a plan and a purpose, but we never own the characteristic of that plan. Um, For me, like a good example would be like when I was in junior high, I I played basketball. Anybody else play basketball in junior high? Um, Anybody got a basketball with them today? Oh my, awesome. Good job. Come on, Troy. He came to church prepared. You thought you were supposed to bring a Bible. You were supposed to bring a basketball. <clears throat> All right, here we go. So I remember when I was in junior high, I got into basketball, and, and I, I, I loved it. I would play basketball all the time. I, I would go to the practices. I would, I would go home. We had, a, we had a hoop on the side of the garage. Anybody else have a hoop on the side of the garage? And we would, we, of course, the garage was slanted, so like you'd chase the ball back down every time. But we, we would play in the streets, and we'd play on, the, on the, the, the nets that had the chains that would hang down, and you could roll the net out. Anybody remember those, those nets that you could? And so I remember I'd get out there and play, and I'd, I'd go between the legs, and oh, I still did it. That's amazing. I'm proud of that. Um, but get out there and, and practice. You know, you know lay, down on, lay down on your bed and practice your shot, right? Anybody else do this when you were in junior? Like, this is, this is my life in junior high. I'd play, and I would, I would juke people out, and I was, I was talking trash to shadows in my friends front yard. I was killing. I was a good basketball player. And then I remember like the first couple times we actually had games. <clears throat> and it was, it was a lot different playing a game than it was playing against myself in the front yard. Because the guys in the front yard, like my, my shadow people in the front yard, I would smoke, I would dunk on these dudes. I'd lower the net down to seven feet, just smash it in there, right? Like my, Michael Jordan, that, that's, that's how, but the first game, I remember walking out on, on the basketball court, and of course, I was raised like super conservative Christian, like we didn't wear shorts because shorts were the devil, right? So like, I was a kid that always had to wear sweatpants to like, you thought sweatpants were cool, you call them joggers, I thought they were the devil because I wasn't allowed to wear shorts, and so... Everybody else is, is dressed out and they got tank tops on. I didn't wear tank tops because tank tops were the devil. Like that was showing somebody my luxurious shoulders and they would, they would sin if they had seen my, my shoulders. And so, so I, I wore a t-shirt underneath my tank top and I wore sweatpants, which like, honestly, my parents, their heart was right. Like it's good for us to set boundaries for our kids, right? It's good for us to set boundaries for our kids, right? <laughs> You may, you may disagree with where the boundary was, and I disagree with where the boundary was, but I'll tell you this, I am thankful that boundaries were set. And I'll tell you what, your kids will be grateful if you set boundaries in their lives. It's important. And so, uh, I, but I remember walking out onto the basketball court and where I, I remember going out on the field and I've been playing, I've been learning. I knew how to you know, do the chest pass and the bounce pass and do a right-handed layup and a left-handed layup and how to th- shoot the ball and how to do all this stuff. But, but the deal was when I got out on the court, I felt like I didn't belong. I remember, I remember walking out onto the court and I just felt like, like I was the one guy there that didn't belong. And so when they would give me the ball, they would pass the ball to me and I, 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 was, I felt like I didn't belong. So instead of taking a shot, I would pass the ball to somebody else. 
And then they'd pass it back. And then, then I, I didn't know what to do because I, I didn't feel like I, be, I belonged. So I, I would pass the ball. Like there's nothing wrong with passing the ball. You need to pass the ball. Like this is important. But the deal is at some point in the game, you've got to learn that you're there to make points. You be a team player all you want, but at some point, you've got to know that you belong there, that you're a part of what's going on, and every, nobody's going to be upset with you if you take a shot and miss. I'm saying, like, I, I understood that I was there to play basketball. I had practiced playing basketball, but the problem was it had not become my identity. I did not feel like a basketball player. I didn't feel like I belonged. And this is what's going on with Abraham or Abraham. He, at this point in his life, he's been through so many things with God. God has called him. God has promised for him. God has re three separate times, the voice of God has come to him and said, I am going to make you the father of many nations. I will bless all people through you. And everyone who blesses you will be blessed. And everyone who curses you will be cursed. Three times God has said this. And he still doesn't believe it enough to know it is his identity. And God comes in this time. God says, I I'm going to stop telling you the promise. And at this point, what I'm going to do is make your identity the promise. No longer are you going to be just a kid that understands the rules of basketball, playing in a front yard, dribbling by yourself. But now you a basketball player. Now you are the promised father of many nations. I wonder how many of us have been going to church for years, living in and among the house of God for just our whole lives, or maybe it's been two or three years, but you've been around for a long time, and, and while you know the promise of God, and you know God has more for you, you have not allowed it to become your identity. I want you to know that promise comes when you allow the identity that God has for you to saturate your entire life. Yeah. That's when things begin to change. That, that's the moment when things begin to light up. When you recognize it's not just a promise that God once gave your mom and your dad, but it is a promise from God that is your identity. At this point, we see the many times that God has blessed Abraham, but here God is saying, Abraham, you are, not just I will have many nations through you, Abraham, you are the father of many nations. It's who you are. At this, this is part of that chiasm I was talking about, how there's... there's um, Paralleling, paralleling points in the story that, that it go inwardly to create the chiasm in the middle. And part of the chiasm here is this, is that at the end of this chapter, God says to Sarai, he says, Sarai, no longer will your name be Sarai, now your name will be Sarah. And he says, you're, you're going to be the mother. Uh, uh, like you are the promise. I've been trying to tell you this whole time that it's a biological child through you. And you've been trying to find Lot, and you've been trying to find Eleazar, and you've been trying to find Hagar, and you've been trying to build an army, and he's saying it's a biological child through you. It's interesting because God changes both of their names by adding to their names. He just adds one letter to each of their names. He adds a letter called a hey, hey, H-E-I, hey. This letter, uh, it's the sound of, of breath. Uh, Avram to Abraham. 
Sarai to Sarah. God changes their names by adding breath. I would say how many of us have been living for God, but yet the breath of life has not been part of our world. Like, like we've been walking with them. We've been, we've been believing in them. But I'm telling you, things change when you allow the breath of God into your world and it rearranges the syllables of your name. I'm, I'm saying that there is power in the breath of God. It's at this point that he's 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 saying he's saying I, I see who you were, Avram. I see who you were, Sarai. Like like Sarai means princess, and Sarah also means princess. But but but, but he's saying he's saying like I, like I see how you defined yourself as barren. I see how you defined yourself as unable to fulfill the promise of God in your life. I see how you have have felt that because you're so busy, you have no time for the things of God. I I, I see how you feel like you have no ability to really affect change in your children's life. I I see what the world has told you, that that once you had a bankruptcy, you would always be financially struggling. I I, I see what the world has told you, that that you've been divorced, and so now you will always be a relational failure, and and you've just owned some stuff, and maybe maybe you've heard words when you were young, somebody said something to you, and you've owned it, and at this point, God is saying, like, I, I know what you once were, but you are not those things. My breath is in your life. My breath is in your life. No longer referring to yourself based on what the world says. Instead, Abraham and Sarah, begin referring to yourselves with the breath of God in your lives. What would happen if this church, if the individuals in this church, what would happen if a mother and a father began to say, we're no longer going to be the people we were, but we're going to identify with the presence of God's breath, with his spirit in our lives. What would happen in your home? What would happen in your marriage? Because a promise spoken is one thing, but a promise owned as an identity is a completely different thing. And he says, you're going to have an identity based on who God says you are, not who the world says you are. And then this next portion, he says that in Genesis chapter 17, verse 6 through 8, this is cringy. Um, he says, I will, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. Again, God is speaking promise. And kings will come from you. He hasn't said this before, but now he's beginning to make it very clear. Like, it's through your body that you're going to have children. And the, there are going to be nations. And there's going to be kings. What would happen if a mom and dad really believed that they were going to raise kings? What would happen if a mom and dad said, no, this child is going to make a difference in the world. And everyone around them is going to be blessed through them. And raise kings from, shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after, uh, your, after you throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God uh, to you and to your offsprings after you, and uh, I will give it to you and your offspring after the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So that's not the part that's cringy. It's, I, I, I jumped ahead. That's later. <clears throat> but God's saying, like, like you don't understand. They're, they're, he's doubling down on the promise. He's saying, he's saying, there's so much more for you. 
Like you, you've been living for God, just thinking that the, the way you live for God is you just show up at church on Sunday and like you punch your church card and you, that's living for God. And he's saying, no, 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 like have the breath of God in you and he will make a nation out of you. Like kings will come from you. God will establish a covenant with you. It's in this point where, where Abraham's learning the significance of words. Because your words matter. The words you speak create worlds. What you allow off of your tongue does change both the atmosphere around you and the people around you. Because words are important. It is by God's word that he speaks and the cosmos exists. Like it is by his word that the world is still sustained. It's, it's by the very words of God that we have life. It, it is his word that has power. And it is your words, James says, that can turn the whole world into a whirlwind of fire. Just one spark is like a forest fire. It's, it's, like, it's like the rudder on, the sail, on, on a sail sh sailboat. That Just the tiniest little piece, the, the rudder. There's a tiny little piece, but it changes the course of people's lives. So God says, or in this moment, God is reiterating. He's saying, Abraham, you don't understand. Like these words I've been telling you, they matter because these words I'm telling you are going to change the course of your life if you would get... I'm telling maybe somebody, <clears throat> what you need most right now is not coming to another church service, although I would advise it, but maybe what you need most is a friendectomy. Maybe what you need most is to get away from people that speak negative, violent words into your life, people that, don't that, that are saying the things that, that, that bring out the worst fears in you. I'm telling you, it changes people's lives when you get around people that speak goodness and godliness to your life. One of my greatest insecurities comes from my youth pastor. He told me when I was a young man, he said, just know this, you'll never have anything to say until you're 30 years old. And I was a preacher at that. I've gone through Bible school and I was, I was 24 years old. And, and he said, you'll never have anything to say until you're 30. And this young man, because of the authority that guy had in my life, I believed everything he said. And so I just took a back seat on everything that God had for me for the next six years. Like I, I just put my life on pause because this guy must know what he's talking about. And the truth is, the scripture tells us not to despise young people that are doing good things for God. Instead, let's get behind them and support them and see what God can do through them. If you've ever wondered, like, why does Pastor Roger, like, always invest in the younger people? Invest Because I was somebody who was specifically not invested in, and I said, I will not be like that. Like, like if you've got a call of God on your life, let's foster that. Let's nurture that. We'll never tell you you've never got a voice. We'll never tell you you got to wait six years until you should be heard. Because words matter. I don't know, I don't know, Pastor Rod, I don't know if words matter. No, no, no. You know the story of Jacob and Esau? Where, 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 where Jacob steals the birthright from Esau? This doesn't make sense to our Western minds. Because Jacob goes in and he says, I, I would like a blessing from you. And Isaac gives him a blessing. Tricked, but he gives him a blessing. It's actually Esau's blessing. And he leaves. And when Esau comes in, he comes into his father and says, but don't you have another blessing? It wasn't me. You spoke it over. As Americans, what we say is, no, I didn't mean all that. Like you misunderstood. I thought I was talking to Esau, but I was really talking to Jacob. Like I didn't mean any of what I said. 
biblically words matter so much that when Isaac spoke the words over Jacob, he recognizes those words cannot be retrieved. We would have recanted. We would have said, I don't mean that. But no, biblically, he says, no, I'm going to have to give you a different blessing. Because in their world, they would pray over their child for years and years and years, developing in them a blessing to give their child. Think about this, mom and dad, developing a blessing that they would begin to speak over their child on their deathbed. And, and when, when they come, come around to the time of death, there was a prepared statement of faith that would be proclaimed over someone's life that would change the course of their life. And because it was already spoken, it couldn't be spoken over someone else. Instead, a separate blessing that he had already prepared for Jacob was spoken over Esau. Mom and dad, maybe you should pray over what you speak over your kids. Maybe we should be careful the words we use. It's the difference, I, I talked about this a while ago, but it's the difference between an affirmation and a declaration. They're very similar words, but they mean something completely different. An affirmation means I affirm something that already exists. I affirm something that I already agree on. A declaration is saying I'm, a, I'm agreeing with something that does not yet exist. So I... I uh, I, we're a non-denominational church, but I used to be in a denomination um, and, and we would have to sign what we called an affirmation statement. What, what that meant was I was saying, I agree with all the decisions you guys have already made about all of this stuff. I agree with it. I'm affirming what you already said. And it's important. We need to affirm people. When, when little Sarah does good in dance, you tell her, hey girl, you did so good in dance. Like you did amazing. When, you, when your husband comes home and, and he, he, he doesn't throw his socks on the floor, be like, hey baby, that was hot. Like keep, you just keep throwing that in the, dirt, in the laundry. Like that's amazing, right? That's, that's affirmation. You're affirming what already exists. But there's something completely different when we declare. And this is what God is doing. He's declaring. Declaring is when you like the declaration of independence. The country was not yet an, an established country that was like somehow going to be pivotal, pivotal in the world. And yet we declared something. We didn't affirm something that existed. We said we're going to declare independence. Like we're going to declare that this country is going to be a, just a, a, a bastion of, of, of life and faith and freedom. Like, like God's going to do something. So they began to declare it. And what I'm saying is this is what God is doing. He's declaring over, over, uh, over Abraham. He's, he's saying you're, you're going to be the father of many nations. What would happen in our own lives if we just stopped affirming everything good that someone does, but instead we start declaring the goodness that's not in them yet? What if you went home to, to your husband and you said, you know, what? I just want you to know you're the most successful man I've ever met. You, you have so much self-confidence. You, you are able to take the world by, like, what would happen, wives, if you began to speak that over your husband? I'll tell you what would happen. His shoulders would go back. His chest would fill with love, with air, and he'd begin to take the world by storm. I'm telling you, husband, what would happen if you came home with your wife and you're just like, you are the sexiest thing I ever saw. Like, you are fine. Want me to tell you what happens? It's amazing. Your marriage will be amazing if you, if you declare. And then when you begin to declare, like you begin to affirm. I'm, I'm saying do the same thing with your kids and understand this. Do the same thing in your walk with God. Begin to say, you know what? I am the kind of person that, that has a walk with God. Like, like I'm the kind of guy that when I speak, heaven listens. Like, like I'm the kind of guy that's not afraid to step up at work. Like when you begin to declare, God shows up. 
I'm trying the new pulpit. I'm trying. Thank you. <laughs> now it get cringy. Verse 9, and God said to Abraham, as for you, remember, they, they already made the covenant. The covenant was the blood path. God took both sides of that. But God says, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. So he said, I'm still going to hold you accountable to it. And you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you will keep. This is the part of the covenant you're going to keep. So understand what God's doing here. He's saying, you're going to have a token of my covenant. This, again, is a suzerain vassal type of covenant situation. Same thing God does with Noah. Noah gets off the ark. God says, I'm going to give you a sign of the covenant. Right? A sign of the covenant. So back in their day, what they would do, if they made an agreement, if there was a legally binding agreement, you would have a token that was evidence of your covenant with somebody. So that if anybody ever came up to you and said, why are you farming this land? You could show them the token of your covenant and say, because I have a covenant with the landowner. Make sense? So with Noah, God says, he says, I'm going to give you a covenant. My covenant is going to be a, a, a bow in the sky. This, this, is, this is actually not a rainbow in Hebrew. It's, it's actually a bow and arrow that's pointing towards the sky. He says, there's going to be a bow in the sky, which we know is a rainbow. He says, I, I'm, I'm going to point that towards heaven. Like the wrath of God is never going to point towards earth again. And he's saying, so every time there's a storm, every time you begin to look at the rain and you begin to think, man, God is coming after us. God is angry again. I want you to know that every single time that your fears of this covenant not being real show up, you look in the sky because I'm going to put it in a place where you'll never lose it. It's not some coin that you put in your pocket that might get lost under your floor. It's not some note that, you, that might get rained on. And, and he's saying it's always going to be in the sky. And here with Abraham, God says this. He says, I'm going to give you a sign of the covenant that you will never lose, buddy. He says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Which is cringy, right? But think about it. The promise of Abraham, this, this token of the promise is God saying, every time you begin to think that this promise isn't going to work, you're going to see that my promise is with you. So every time they get intimate, the very thing that will produce the promise, he sees the covenant of God. Every time those insecurities come back in his life and say, this has never worked before. This has never been enough to do anything before. Every single time for the rest of your life, you will see God's hand saying, I made a covenant with you that you will be the father of many nations. This is, it's a sign you'll never lose. It's a symbol it will never change. And every time your old insecurities show up, every time you're afraid, you will see the sign that says kings will come from you. So you might be here today and you're like, well, what in the world does that have to do with me? <clears throat> well, we've got knives in the back here and we're going <clears> to <throat> help you out. 
it's funny because after this chapter, the very next chapter, we find Abraham sitting under the oaks of Mamre, right? Like in the heat of the day, he's sitting under the oaks. Yeah, I'd be sitting under the oaks too, uh, just, just resting. But, but here's the deal. The promises of God are not just ancient promises of God. Here's what Paul says in Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Next verse. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What he's saying is this, that the blessing of Abraham that we see is offered to you and I. Because in the body of Christ, God does not see black and white and Mexican and Asian and Ethiopia. He doesn't see none of that. God sees two types of people. He sees believers and unbelievers. That's all God sees. Like God doesn't see color. He doesn't see social strata. He doesn't see any of the stuff that we categorize ourselves with. God sees believers and unbelievers. And he says that through the promise of Abraham, you can join the ranks of the believers, the father of faith, Abraham, the one who God has sealed with a covenant and he's making a covenant with you. And that covenant is a cross. It is Jesus Christ taking the whole wrath of God on a cross so you'll never have to walk the blood path again. And and the sign in the covenant doesn't even require you to cut yourself anymore. The Bible says that it is a circumcised heart. What does that mean? It means every time you begin to get insecure and think, I don't have what God says I have. I don't have what God was supposed to do in me. Like This is not effective inside of me. Every time those insecurities come up, there's a part in your heart that is softened. That was never soft before. There's a part of your heart that breaks for the heart of God. There's a thing inside of you that says, no, all those insecurities are lies. All those old statements are lies. You do have a voice. You do have a blessing. You, And it is a circumcised heart that God holds on as the covenant because it'll never leave you. It'll always be there in the worst day of work. You can have somebody yell at you and scream at you at work. And when you get in your car, there's this thing inside of you that's tender towards that person. And you think, how in the world? do I have compassion on that jerk? And the answer is you have a circumcised heart. Like like God has done a work in you and it will not leave you. You're not going to misplace it. You're not going to leave the things of God somewhere else because he has a plan for your life. And it looks like a heart that's tender. It looks like a heart that is turned towards God. So I would tell you today, as the band is coming, you got to stop believing the lies that say that God has not come for you. You need to stop believing the lies that say that you're not good enough to receive the promises of God. Because those lies are the enemy of your soul. Because all that fool can do is talk. He's like a little chihuahua, like a little Pomeranian. All he can do is talk and he'll chirp and he'll chirp and he'll chirp. But the truth is this, you look at him and say, you know what? You can talk all you want to, but I recognize a change in this heart. I recognize a softening in this heart. I recognize that God has done a work in my heart and it wasn't based on anything I've done, but it was based on the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. 
I just want you to understand that like, there's two types of people, guys. There's people that look back towards the old way of life and say, no, I, I am not that person that has the breath of God in my life. I'm the old me. And there's another type of person that says, no, I am bought with a price. I am redeemed by Jesus Christ alone. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Today, as we wrap up this series, I want you to know that you are chosen by God and no lie from hell can hold you back. And no word spoken out of turn by some well-meaning youth pastor years ago can prevent you from experiencing the power that God has for your life. And no word spoken over you by the neighbor or by your mom or your dad, nothing that's been spoken over you that's evil can have authority over you because God breathes his breath. He breathes his breath. So today you are not your brokenness. You are not your shame. You are not what people said you are but you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're no longer bound by your sickness. You're no longer bound by your shame. You are victorious in Christ. I'm gonna go back to that verse in Galatians chapter three, verse 14. It says this, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. If you've been going through the motions and you're like, I feel like there's something more for me, there's something more for you. God's spirit is available to all people. The Bible says this promises to you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so in this moment right now, God has his spirit that he wants to show you. He wants to breathe over your life. He wants to breathe fresh breath into your name. So would you stand with me all across the room? There's no trick. There's no manipulation. There's even no emotionalism. Here's what I want you to do. As we begin to sing this song, I want you to throw your hands towards heaven. And I just want you to begin to speak out loud to God. Worship, telling him how good he is, how incredible he is. And his spirit will meet you right now. You've got to be open to it. You've just got to be willing. So let's sing this song. Thank you again for listening in. If you have a moment, we'd love to hear how God impacted you through this message. And we'd love your help by spreading the word, by rating, reviewing, and sharing the podcast. But more than that, we'd love to see you in person this Sunday. We want you to be a part of the family. 
If you want to find out more about Celebration Church or partner with us through giving, you can find us online at thecelebration.church or find us on Facebook. Let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.